The World Wide Web may indeed span the globe, as the name implies, but we live in a world broken up into countries, regions, and states that all have different rules around security and data sharing on the internet. This can cause huge headaches and even existential risk for big tech companies like Meta that have a nasty habit of pushing the boundaries of how much data they collect, about who, and how that data is monetized. This week, Meta was ordered to suspend Facebook EU's data flows and was hit with a fine of 1.2 billion euros under the General Data Protection Regulation, also known as GDPR. And while the fine is fairly small to a company with Meta's annual revenue, it has big implications for the way these companies will be allowed to collect and share data. And it may lead to big changes either in the laws that govern use and protection of data or in the way Meta and other tech giants operate at a fundamental level. Or both. I'm Daryl Etherington, and this is the TechCrunch Podcast, where we talk about the top stories in tech with the people who cover them. Today, Natasha Lomas is here to break down a years-long security saga that's still unfolding. Hey, Natasha, how's it going? Hey, Daryl, it's pretty good. How are you? Good, good. So this week has been busy in European privacy world, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the privacy sphere, yes, yes. it has. It's been a busy one. Yeah, so we had this sizable for us normal people, I don't know about sizable for Meta, privacy fine come down 1.2 billion euros, which is roughly 1.3 billion dollars. 1.3 billion, yeah. Yeah, yeah. current trading. American dollars. I don't <laughs> yeah, know what Canadian, that is. Canadian, I don't know what dollars. that is. <laughs> yeah, a lot more, let's say. But not the most that they could have been is my understanding from reading your article, that they could have received under this particular penalty. I think it's probably closer to the least they could have (laughs) received, actually. (laughs) Yeah, so let's get into it, because this is very complex. Like, it seems like, and I know that depending on whose version of this you listen to, it's a very strong message sent to Meta. But as you lay out so eloquently in your article, there's reason to believe that it seems like it was done very reluctantly, perhaps, and also that it is de minimis when it comes to the actual enforcement terms. So do you want to explain a little bit about that? I think that's fair. I mean, it's a very long-running saga. So if you're at all deeply interested in this, I would urge you to go and read the article. It's, read the it's, article. It goes back this is like the a, TLDR. a decade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really does. It's a very, very long, long-running saga related to kind of linked originally essentially to the Edward Snowden disclosures about US government surveillance, Mm -hmm. which if people remember back that far, there was a program called PRISM where the NSA was kind of scooping up data from social media companies like Facebook. And that was kind of clocked onto by a privacy activist, a privacy campaigner and a law student at the time, I think, called Max Schrems, who is also known internally at Facebook as, I believe, the devil or some <laughs> some some such moniker. Um, but he he spotted that this was a big deal and sort of started complaining. And he kind of targeted several companies, but he ended up sort of focusing his complaints on Facebook and asking their lead privacy regulator to stop transferring data because data for the European users sent to the US then gets spied on by American government right. spies, spooks, whatever. And that's a problem because you, under European law, you need to protect data when it's exported. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of key conundrum. European Union law, we have this comprehensive data protection. The US does not. Um, right. Some states have their own, but there's no comprehensive one. And there's certainly no protections for foreigners, goodness, uh, yes. <laughs> under things like the FISA surveillance laws and so on. So it's a huge clash 
legal kind of clash of, of these conflicting systems. One one in the US is obviously focused around national security and prioritizing all of that. And so surveillance is like part of that and they can do what they want with data. And then the European way, which is no, no, you have to protect data. It has to be, you know, privacy has to be respected and all of this. So um, that's the original conundrum. And it's just gone on and on <laughs> down through <laughs> years and years and years of these complaints being filed with the lead data protection regulator in Europe for Facebook, which remains the Irish Data Protection Commission. Mm-hmm. It's been kicked back and forth through all sorts of procedural dilly-dallying. It's resulted in two high-level data transfer packs between the EU and the US being thrown on the scrap heap when the, the top court in Europe struck them down <laughs> for yes. not being for not being legit. So that's uh, Schrems has many, uh, many scalps already. But through all of this long saga, Facebook has still been transferring data. It hasn't actually, you know, had to stop transferring data. So that's kind of the irony, really. But this week, there was finally a suspension order coming out of the Irish DPC, which says that they will have to suspend these data flows. However, they've been given, I think it's up to six months to Mm -hmm. implement that. (laughs) But they were also fined at the same time. So that was the 1.2 billion, which is quite a big deal in some ways, because Ireland didn't actually want to find them at all. So that's one area where the European regulatory kind of community has kind of made Ireland do that through a process that's sort of baked into how the regulation works. So they were kind of forced to do that. So we've got this situation finally, after so many years of where Meta is facing some immediate consequences, I guess the fine, and then this looming consequence of in six months time potentially having to suspend the data flows which of course they can't do because their service isn't doesn't work like that they'd have to kind of change the infrastructure radically for that to be possible however there will probably be a new high level data pact coming in this summer so they will switch to that so they'll probably avoid the suspension but they won't avoid the fine Mm -hmm. and if that wasn't enough (laughs) there's another element because the order kind of contains what looks like it could end up meaning that they have to sort of delete data that was transferred historically without a legal basis. Right. And then that could be complicated for them because, by all accounts, Meta's internal systems are not really very well sort of sort of structured and controlled, so it, it may be very difficult for it to kind of, you know, find this data and delete right. it. It's could, all mixed it's together. All best, it's yeah. all mixed together. As far as we can tell from sort of leaks over the years, it's a big old soup of people's information. Yeah. And they, they're maintaining like, oh, but that will also kind of fall under the data sharing pact. Like that'll prevent us from having to deal with that as well is what they seem this to This is the key. Yeah, this is the say. key element. They are saying that. They're saying this whole, this new data deal, which, you know, will absolutely, it's pretty inevitable. It will it will be, at this point, it's, it's certainly going to be signed. So it will come in because obviously lots of other companies are affected by this legal uncertainty, not just Facebook. Yeah. So lots rests on that. So yeah, they are, Facebook are kind of seizing on it and saying, no, this will fix all of our problems, including our, you know, all of this data we transferred illegally <laughs> in the past, yeah. um, which is amazing. I'm not sure a law can do that really. But, you know, they're saying it does. There's some sort of doubt on that point. You could also sort of argue philosophically, you know, what is a data transfer really? Because it might be that some of this data that was historically transferred had subsequently been retransferred. So you could have kind of all sorts of uh, academic and sort of technical questions about what really, you know, when when does the data date back to anyway? So I think ultimately what we'll get is a fudge, (laughs) which is what usually happens. And Meta may well get away with sort of 
that fudge. But they're not going to get away with the fine unless they do succeed in their appeal because they have obviously, now we have finally got this regulatory decision, they can still appeal it to to the courts. So they will certainly go down that route so they could, in theory, succeed in overturning it through the courts. That will take several years more, obviously. At the same time, we will also get Schrems or someone else challenging the new high-level data deal and that will probably also, (laughs) that could also end up being struck down again, but we wait to see. So yeah, it's a recurring cycle. It's a doom loop. We're back here every day, but at least now we do have the tangible sort of fine to hit them with. And that's interesting because Ireland didn't want to propose it and they were forced to, again, by this sort of community of, of European data regulators through the EDPB, which is the body that ultimately issued the binding decision on Ireland to issue this decision. So they had limited choice in what they could do, but they did have some choice which was over the level of the fine. And I think the EDPB said that they could set that between 20% and 100% of the maximum allowed under the GDPR. And so the maximum would have been something like over 4 billion. Right, because it's a percentage of their total annual... Total annual turnover. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think if my maths is right, <laughs> they could have been on the hook for over 4 billion. So really, it's quite cheap, I would mm-hmm. say. They got, oh, yeah. they got the lower the lower end of the of the fine there. So they did get a fine, but they were forced to have that. Um, but yeah, they got they got off with less than it could have been. So yeah, and that I mean, there's so much going on there. But it is, I think, for a lot of our U.S. listeners, like it's essentially like similar situation to how California kind of governs, except the opposite, right? California is the most stringent in the states and so if they've set laws like everybody has to follow them basically but this is kind of the reverse in that everybody bases all the large tech companies base their stuff in ireland because ireland is known to be the most lenient of all the sort of data protection commissioners of the various eu states and so they feel like by being there they can probably get away with more and that seems to have been the case right to date um yeah. Yeah. It's Ireland does that because it's very good for business. In in addition to their tax rate, like they have very favorable tax rates for tech companies and they have this, mm-hmm. which means that most people headquarter their European operations in Ireland. When Absolutely. It comes to so yeah. Apple, um there's a few exceptions. I think Amazon is over in Luxembourg, but all of the Google, Apple, all of these Facebook, um, TikTok, they're all right. yeah, they're all in Ireland. For this absolutely for this reason it's it's a friendly jurisdiction for, yes. for, yeah, this kind of regulation. So, Yeah, so that leads to things like the general EU being like, well, no, like, we need this to be effective, and so we have to step in at some point. Which I think, I mean, they do so reluctantly, right? Like, it's not like the story of all of this and the time it takes and everything is like, we don't want to infringe on the sovereignty of our, our member states as much as we have to. Like, we, we only want to do as much as we have to, right? Which is like, in this yeah. case, okay, well, we've had to after... Years and years and years and years, it's been like, okay. And this relates to the other story, which is the TikTok. So basically, they called, what, what is her name? Helen Dixon to task. Oh, it's the Irish DPC, yeah. Yes. So she's like the commissioner. She's the head of the DPC, essentially. Yes. And members of the European Parliament had her sort of present her progress to date when it comes to TikTok and privacy regulation. Because they're headquartered there, and that means that as... Ireland regulates, so goes the rest of the European Union member states, right? So they had her up because they have an investigation ongoing, but they're not happy with the pace of it. There's a lot of (laughs) accusations of Ireland dragging their heels when it comes to all of this stuff, right? There is, there is. No, the Libra Committee is its name, which is like the Civil Liberties Committee, is very unhappy with the DPC for various reasons. They invited Dixon previously, I think it was last year, and she 
she essentially refused. <laughs> so they were not they were not at all happy with that because they wanted to have she, she would have been in the room with Max Schrems, and so she was like, "This is unacceptable." Um, so no, she outright refused. So they were pretty mad, and I think they sent a delegation to sort of to the DPC to sort of dig around, and then obviously she did finally appear, agree to appear before them today on this, uh, on, not say this week on this um, TikTok. Um, session, but it was amusing because she used most of she used a big chunk of her introductory remarks to sort of defend the DPC, which was right. then point the MEPs were pointing out, well, that's not why we invited you here today. That we could have talked about that last year when you didn't come. Right, <laughs> we actually right. wanted to, you know, question you about TikTok. So there were kind of there was some satirical sort of sarcastic comments being thrown at her about that. And then yeah, she was defending the record on TikTok, which I mean, it's kind of hard to defend when you consider it has been like four years and and no real action, <laughs> regulatory action in the EU on TikTok, despite masses of concerns and concerns yeah. not only being raised by like privacy regulators, also by consumer protection regulators have, have had a bunch of concerns for years. So it's, it's really been like a, a, this huge kind of ball of problems, but no, <laughs> no real enforcement. But again, so the DPC, she was, Dixon was extremely robust in her defense of their busy enforcement, as she was couching it, and uh, all this stuff, and uh, was brooking no criticism and suggesting that it's simply, you know, the time taken is what's required, do, you know, a careful fact-sifting job, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't think that <laughs> the Labour Committee bought that, and, and I don't, the criticism of Ireland is not going to is not going to dim. Right. But in terms of timelines, I think we will see, we will, it's from what she suggested, I think we'll get one of their two inquiries, we'll get a decision probably on that later this year, maybe around sort of fall, so October time. But the big data transfers investigation, which sort of mirrors what, what's happened with, with Meta, because mm-hmm. they're also, they are also investigating TikTok, but it doesn't transfer data to the US, it transfers data to China, right. <laughs> which, you know, may actually be more concerning to some people, uh, perhaps, perhaps to many people. Absolutely. It's a total <laughs> black box, right? Like the US, at least they kind of know because there is like friendly diplomatic relations. So they have to like kind of be upfront about what they're doing, even if you don't like what they're doing. And they're always probably still obfuscating a lot of it. But still, yeah. it's, it's a very different story than China where you're like, I have The no devil you know, idea. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> um, so that investigation of TikTok's data transfers, I don't think we're going to get that for... A long while, yeah. So, well, I mean, maybe, maybe, I mean, next year, presumably, but again, who knows? The timelines and these things really can defy, you know, rational, logical predictions. So, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) maybe next year if we're lucky. So, my big question with all of this is like, it just feels like tech companies are effectively happy to do this plate spinning, basically, which is just like, keep it up in the air and then, like, hey, lawyers, go keep this all up in the air for as long as possible and we'll just keep doing our thing. As long as they keep jumping from, proposed data sharing agreement or whatever, or tentatively accepted data sharing agreements, tentatively accepted data sharing agreement, which it seems like they might be able to do forever, then it's fine, right? Like they can continue to operate with the appeals and status processes and everything like that, like to date. So the question is like, why not? I think Max mentioned this or talked about it. Like they may have to move to federation. Like why not just do that sooner where you're like handling and deriving insights from the data in country? And then the other would be, why not just do the derived insights part, right? Why not say like, or like doing those things in concert. So you're like, oh, well, we collect the data here in Europe and we store it in Europe and then we derive insights from it. And that's not customer data because Facebook's great about doing this, right? Like they're always like, we don't sell your data. And it's like asterisk, asterisk. (laughs) We sell all the insights derived from your data, which could easily be like reverse engineered to be your data effectively. But, you know, why don't they just do that stuff? Is it simpler to pursue this kind of like totally Byzantine legal whatever i mean maybe 
<laughs> Maybe, although, I mean, the, the, the other complication they have on that kind of side in Europe is that the GDPR takes a very broad definition of personal data. It's, mm. it's not, California, for example, is much more narrow in what it considers to be personal data. That's mm-hmm. not at all the case with GDPR. It's actually very, very broad. So these inferred insights are personal data still. So gotcha. there's no, I mean, Meta might argue they're not, but they would probably end up coming up a cropper on that again um, legally. So it's quite tricky for them to sort of wiggle out of that. And their business model is ultimately based on people mining, isn't it? And people farming and all that. So how you can kind of claim that's, you know, privacy safe is, is just sort of, it doesn't work. So federating their infrastructure, that's what Shrem suggests. Yeah. I mean, obviously they don't want to do that because it's cripplingly expensive, I'm sure. And it yeah. probably also would create new problems for them. You know, if you're forced to sort of have a local infrastructure, you may then be more prone to be having to kind of cleave to local laws and that might be a problem you know for them in certain you know more authoritarian jurisdictions suddenly they could be you know forced to do things that they might be uncomfortable with and it philosophically goes against how they operate which is to be you know a massive global platform and they talk about a global community and their one rules and so on so i think it just goes so against what they want to do they're trying to do everything possible for that not to be the outcome however it may it may end up having to be the outcome but i think you know we've probably got several more cycles of this sort of merry-go-round of regulatory whack-a-mole before we know. But the only other way this could resolve is if there's some reform of US surveillance law. Yes. <laughs> uh, I don't know how plausible that prospect is, <laughs> but maybe every time we go round this, you know, doom loop, maybe it gets a little bit more likely because people start to see how annoying this is for everyone, how expensive this is for everyone, how many businesses are disrupted, because it's like thousands of businesses that are involved in exporting data. You know, this is how a lot of the internet works, doesn't just affect meta. So if we can start to see this cost of, you know, what these, you know, warrantless surveillance kind of protocols mean for businesses, US businesses, and they start to lobby government, maybe we will see some meaningful reform and some proper sort of checks and balances put on their systems, which they, they should be, obviously, yeah. from a human rights point of view. So that's one one possible other outcome, I guess, of, of all of this, you know, seemingly madly frustrating, uh, endless effort. <laughs> yes, yeah, it, and but it all comes down to those lobby dollars, right? It's like, where are they directed and what problems do the companies want to solve with them and which makes the most economic sense, right? Because they direct that based upon what is hurting us the most in our pocketbooks and that's the fix, right? So right now it's not focused, I don't think, on the U.S. privacy laws and like U.S. privacy protections, but it could be. Yeah. If it could be, if the financial incentives move on balance to that, if they're like, look, we can't fix it through these papering overs with these like privacy agreements that don't actually change the substance of the U.S. privacy laws. So that might be where it ends up. And like a 1.2... 1.3 billion dollar fine for Meta is still not a big deal in the grand scheme of it is revenue etc cetera, etc cetera. however it's big enough that they will you know that that's something they can't just ignore right. plus especially when you consider that this is just for one thing so more of these fines could be coming it's not like with the FTC when they got the big privacy settlement of 5 billion that was a sort of indemnity kind of situation yeah. where they were kind of buying themselves out of any other you know problems to do with what they'd been doing there isn't such a sort of pact here. So there's all sorts of aspects of their business that remain under, you know, regulatory investigation. So they could be seeing, and they have seen several, last year there was another big fine they had, not as big, but to do with sort of children's data processing on Instagram. So mm-hmm. there's all sorts of these that come. So if there's such to be a pipeline of fines that are, you know, several billion or at least a billion or something, or several millions, hundreds of millions, that's something that the C-suite usually can't just, you know, flick away unless your CEO is Elon Musk. Right, <laughs> and right. even he might uh, have trouble <laughs> with 
dealing with so many large fines, you know. So I think it's something they will have to start to sort of consider and weigh up and then whether the equation then tips and they start to think, actually, we do have to, you know, reconfigure routes around the damage by changing the infrastructure. But so far, they've resisted that. So it's a really interesting question of whether this will finally kind of force potentially a business model change on them which would be a very interesting. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thanks very much, Natasha. And I'm sure you'll keep watching this and keep reporting on it <laughs> as it winds its I, way through <laughs> European courts. Through another courts, night, but, nightmare yeah. cycle. Yeah, I will, <laughs> I will do my best to stay, <laughs> to stay awake. <laughs> All right. And yes, please do go read those stories. We only touched the surface of it here, but you get to follow all the twists and turns. Natasha's laid it out very clearly, and it's a quite thrilling read, actually. So, so go enjoy it. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, a thriller, a day's protection thriller. <laughs> <laughs> here are the stories everyone's talking about this week. Twitter Spaces played host to the official announcement by Ron DeSantis of his run for the 2024 presidential race earlier this week. Elon Musk was clearly thrilled by the prospect of Twitter acting as the pulpit for this moment, but his full glory was thwarted by technical issues as the live stream cut out just after launching. A second space finally got going around 30 minutes later, but to a much reduced audience. You can check out more on that from Taylor Hatmaker on TechCrunch. Social media is getting the cigarette treatment in that it's now subject to a public health warning from the U.S. Surgeon General. The warning admits that while social media participation could have benefits for kids, it also seems highly likely that it can cause a ton of harm. Basically, it hedges a lot based on the current relatively early state of research on the subject, but says people should watch out regarding their kids' social media usage. Check out more from Taylor Hatmaker on TC. Virgin Orbit continues its slow motion collapse this week with a sale of different aspects of its business to different companies. Three bids acquire three different bits of Richard Branson's former small satellite launching business. Rocket Lab picks up its Long Beach-based manufacturing facility. Launcher picks up its Mojave facilities and its Launcher aircraft go to Stratalaunch. All told, the bids totaled $36 million, a far cry from Virgin Orbit's former sky-high valuation of $3.7 billion. More on TC from Arya Alamalhodii. OpenAI has officially launched an iOS app for ChatGPT. At the very least, this should clear up a lot of confusion and eliminate potential exposure to scam apps since a ton of third-party software claiming to be some form of mobile chat GPT have emerged. It's a free app, but limited to U.S. users only. Also, if you want to use GPT-4 instead of the older GPT-3.5, you need to be a chat GPT Plus subscriber. The company says an Android version will follow soon. More on this from Sarah Perez on TechCrunch. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. You can read all of our stories at TechCrunch.com. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating and review. Join us at Disrupt 2023 in San Francisco this September. Save up to $600 when you buy your pass now through August 11th. And save 15% more on top of that with promo code CRUNCH. Visit TechCrunch.com slash Disrupt to learn more. As always, don't miss the other TC podcasts. We have found Equity and Chain Reaction. See you next week. The TechCrunch podcast is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamitz with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>